0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would open up a Bible to John the 10th chapter. John chapter 10, that's where we're going to be for almost the entirety of the lesson. We'll jump out uh, maybe once or twice. We're going to just work right here in the text in John the 10th chapter, looking at those red letters, those words of Jesus for the next few minutes. As you're turning to John chapter 10, I will echo the welcome that's been extended already. It is great to see everybody today, especially those of you who are visiting with us. We've even got some first-time guests and we really appreciate your presence today, your participation today. We want you to know that that encourages us, the fact that you are here and you're taking part in the worship that we are offering unto God. We're here to, to exalt and lift up the Father and lift up the Son as Cody prayed about in his prayer, but we're also here to lift one another up and I hope that you've been uplifted already as we've sung and as we've prayed and right now as we get ready to study from the Word of God. This morning we return to our preaching theme for 2018 as we spend time with Jesus, coming to know Him better, drawing nearer to Him through these episodes and these encounters that are recorded in the New Testament from the life of Jesus. And this morning that brings us to John chapter 10, kind of a lengthy reading. Read with me if you will, beginning in verse 1. John 10 verse 1, Jesus says, "...Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door..." If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life, and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and he scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's just stop right there. You know, if you were to hop into a time machine, if you were to travel back to the first century, back to the time of, of the apostles, back to the New Testament world and to the people who lived then and there, Uh, the truth of the matter is, is you wouldn't be able to just jump into a conversation and talk with people in that day and time about the kinds of things that you and I have conversations about regularly today. For example, you wouldn't be able to go up to somebody in the first century and say, Hey, what are you dressing up as for trick-or-treat on Tuesday night? I'd like to know. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. You can't go up to someone in the first century and say to them, hey, what about what about the World Series, huh? Boy, baseball season's winding down. Who do you got? You got the Dodgers or the Red Sox? You can't have that conversation with a person in the first century. And why? Because they wouldn't understand what you're talking about. They wouldn't have any frame of reference. Those are all foreign concepts in that culture and in that time. If you want to talk to people in the first century about the World Series or about trick-or-treat or about United States politics or about Kentucky basketball or about any of the other things that are relevant in our day, in our time, well, that's going to require some explanation. You're going to have to give some backstory and you're going to have to get those folks up to speed. Well, by that very same token... There are certain concepts and ideas and practices that would have been relevant to people in the first century that maybe we don't readily identify with in the 21st century. There are some things in Bible times that would have been very common to to them, to those people living in those days, yet, yet it probably bears a little bit more explanation for people like us today. Like, for example, this stuff here in John 10. The idea of shepherding. I'll be the first to confess, I don't know anything about shepherding. I have no firsthand knowledge or experience with that whatsoever. That is completely outside of my wheelhouse. Yet for a Jew living in first-century Palestine, the image of a shepherd, that would have been very familiar to them. Seeing sheep and seeing shepherds, that, that would have been a daily occurrence if you lived in that time. In fact, if you did live back then, chances are you probably would have had a shepherd in your own family. Being a shepherd was not considered some menial task. It was not the kind of thing where, hey, you go out and you take care of the sheep today. That's your chore for the day. That's not how shepherding worked. On the contrary, shepherding was a very important and very involved occupation. To be a shepherd, you had to actually go through training for that. You had to be able to defend the sheep. And why? Well, because sheep were very valuable. Now, sheep were not necessarily valuable because of their meat, although they were sometimes used for food and used for sacrifices. But what made sheep valuable was their wool. That could be used for making fabrics and clothing. And so sheep then, in many ways, they were were a commodity. A commodity that had to be protected because the longer that that sheep lived, well... Well, the more money you could make off of that sheep, the more wool it would be able to produce. A healthy sheep, I am told, would live anywhere from 10 to 12 years on average, and some sheep would live as much as 20 years old. As a result, what that means is that means that shepherds spend a lot of time with their sheep. They spent time getting to know their sheep, getting to know the personalities, if you will, of their sheep. They would even give their sheep names, like the way that we give our pets names, our cats and our dogs, we give them names. The bond between a shepherd and his sheep, it was so close that sheep would actually learn, they would be trained to learn the voice of the shepherd, and they would then respond to it. They would follow after him when they heard his voice. Sheep were entirely dependent upon the care and the protection and the guidance that the shepherd gave them. Now, it is against that backdrop, that imagery that would have been just instantly recognizable to someone living in the first century, it is against that backdrop that Jesus delivers one of His famous I am statements when He says here in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And you know, for us here at Lakeside, coming off a week of studies where we've been studying about shepherds in the sense of a local church, I really can think of no better way to follow that up than by us spending just a few minutes this morning talking about the chief shepherd. The words that Jesus speaks here in John chapter 10 that help us get acquainted with our good shepherd. Because I believe that when we do, when we look at these words here, what's going to happen is is we're going to come to understand some very fundamental truths about Jesus, about His nature and about His work. We're going to learn some things about the Father and how you get to the Father. And even more importantly than that, we're going to learn some truths about ourselves. That makes this section in John chapter 10 vitally important. Because make no mistake about it, you and I, we are in this passage. Jesus speaks of what He has done and what He is doing for His sheep, His flock, the sheep of His pasture. And this morning, I want to set before you three important truths. Three truths about this sheep-shepherd relationship that Jesus describes in John chapter 10. First and foremost, I believe that Jesus is telling us that we can be deceived. He is issuing a warning here about deception. And that if we are deceived, that actually can result in us dying. Now, that's probably not the most warm and fuzzy way to begin a sermon, but I am starting here intentionally because I don't want us to get all warm and fuzzy with this text. The temptation here when you start talking about sheep and shepherds is we get this really sentimental kind of view and picture of shepherds in our mind. We see pictures all the time. If you were to just Google the words Jesus shepherd or Jesus and sheep, what you're going to get is this image of this very warm and gentle man. And he's in this peaceful and calm pastoral setting. And his arms are just full of all kinds of little fuzzy, wuzzy, cuddly little lambs and sheep. And it's just so sweet. And it just makes everybody just coo. And just, oh, look, it's just such a pretty sight. But in John chapter 10, Jesus is not talking about shepherding as some kind of warm and fuzzy picture at all. Jesus knew that first century shepherding, that it was hard work. That it was tiring work. In fact, many times it was dangerous work. Look at how he begins the whole discourse here. Verse 1, he says that this work involves thwarting off, watching out for thieves and robbers. Add to that what he says in verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming. And he leaves the sheep and he flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. You read those kinds of ideas and it becomes clear, shepherding is not for sissies. This is dangerous stuff. You remember what David said back in the Old Testament about fighting a lion and a bear? Is anybody ready to step up and tell David now, David, that shepherding stuff, that's for wimps. Absolutely not. And so I want us this morning to replace that warm and fuzzy image that often comes into our minds, and I want us to replace that with the real picture of a shepherd. Strong, rugged, courageous, hardworking, tirelessly devoted to his sheep. Because I believe when we get that accurate picture of the shepherd in our minds, what's going to happen then is we're going to be able to distinguish the true shepherd from the false shepherds. And this, I actually believe, is the main emphasis. This is actually the main point. This is the main reason that Jesus issues this discourse here in John chapter 10. If you were to follow along in chapter 9 and go into chapter 10, what you'd find is you find that Jesus is at odds once again with the Pharisees, the popular religious guides of that day and time. And Jesus says to His audience standing there, you need to be able to differentiate between the bad shepherds and the good shepherds. Because if you can't make that distinction, there's a possibility you'll be led astray and you will die. Spiritually, you will die. That means we're talking about some pretty high stakes here, aren't we? You know, when we talk about being deceived, being tricked, we're not talking about being tricked like when you see a magician on television, he does a magic trick. And you, you kind of think about it for a few minutes. You're not sure if maybe that was just sleight of hand or maybe it was some kind of gimmick with the camera angle or something. And it's kind of interesting to think about for a few minutes, but then as soon as the show is over, I don't know, an hour later, you've completely forgot about it. Because the fact of the matter is that trick, that deception that happened there, it really doesn't affect your life on a personal basis. Well, you should know that's not the kind of trickery and deception that Jesus is warning about in John chapter 10. Jesus says there are bad leaders out there. And they fool people into thinking that they have their best interest at heart. That they're going to help them. That they're going to lead them to know God and to know His will. But in reality, Jesus says, they are liars and they are deceivers. They lead sheep astray. And ultimately, they lead people to hell. They lead them to the very place that they are going. And that is why Jesus uses such strong words and images like the thief. Think about the thief. When that thief comes to the sheepfold, when he climbs in and he steals the sheep, what's he doing there? What's he taking those sheep for? He's taking them to slaughter them. He can't just keep the sheep because there's the fear that that sheep might be recognized. And he's going to be found out. And so instead, he butchers them. He slays them. And then what about the wolf? The wolf that's described there in verse 12. Well, why does the wolf come to the sheepfold? He's not coming to bring tea and crumpets and we're going to play a little bit of afternoon bridge. That's not why the wolf comes. No, the wolf comes to kill and to destroy. And when he arrives, there is panic and there is confusion and there is death. So Jesus uses such strong images to help us realize what exactly is at stake. And what is at stake? Souls are at stake. Souls are hanging in the balance. Jesus says that His followers, His sheep, they are imperiled by bad shepherds on every side. Evil individuals who would lead men and lead women and lead young men and lead young women away and lead them to where they are lost. He's talking here about spiritual death. It seems to me then that in the context of John chapter 9 and 10, Jesus probably first and foremost, he's looking squarely at those Pharisees. Those men who were guilty of the very thing that he's warning about. And everything that he says to them here, it is tinged with the words of Ezekiel the prophet. Do you know the passage I'm thinking of? Would you look in, uh, hold your place in John, look in Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel chapter 34, we'll come right back to John in just a moment. In Ezekiel 34, this is a withering diatribe against those people in Old Testament times who called themselves the shepherd of God's people. And so the prophet of God comes to these so-called shepherds and he delivers this message. In Ezekiel 34, look in verse 1. In Ezekiel 34, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, O shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you haven't strengthened. The sick you haven't healed. The injured you have not bound up. The stray you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled over them. And so they were scattered. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep, God says, my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. Drop down to verse 9. Therefore, you shepherds, you hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold... I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and I will put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. You think the Pharisees in John chapter 10, you think they didn't know that passage? you think the Pharisees didn't understand clearly the echoes of the prophet as Jesus looked them square in the eye and said, I am the good shepherd, not you. They knew that. And certainly that's something that we need to know today. You know, we have seen in our world today, in the religious world today, we have seen groups, entire groups, entire segments of people that would form together and call themselves a church. We've seen those kinds of people be led astray by, by very charismatic personalities, smooth-talking guys who dress really nice, and man, they just say all the best words, and they just have that kind of magnetic personality that just draws people into them. And they pray. They pray upon those who are the most impressionable. Many times that's the, that's the impoverished of our land, people who are weak. Maybe people who are simple-minded. Many times it's young people. And they feed off of them. They're living up in this life of of opulence and extravagance while their followers are doing all of the hard work. There are scores of so-called pastors today who really fit the kind of bill that Jesus is describing and warning about in John 10. But of course, that's not just a problem out there in the religious world at large. What about when those kinds of problems come in here? What about whenever there's division amongst the people of God because maybe an elder or a preacher or some other influential person within a congregation, they start accumulating to themselves a following. And they start demanding that the sheep do their bidding and you follow me where I go and you listen to what I say. Or what about when somebody comes along, maybe a teacher of some sort, And they claim to have found some kind of deeper meaning in the text. They're always just seeming to be more spiritual and more profound than everybody else. These are the kind of people who have found maybe some, some new twist on the Lord's Supper. Maybe they found some new, deeper insight into the book of Revelation. Maybe they figured out some revolutionary way to worship God that we apparently haven't figured out. What happens? What happens is, is like a moth to the flame. People are drawn to those kinds of shepherds. And what Jesus says loudly and clearly here in John chapter 10, is don't be deceived. These are false shepherds. They are not good shepherds. These are people who are all about exalting themselves, and accumulating followers, and getting glory for themselves. False shepherds always have a false agenda. And that underlying motive can be seen in their lives if you'll look for it. And Jesus says, you need to look for it. You need to put them under the microscope. You need to scrutinize what they say and do. Compare their words and their deeds and what they're spouting. You compare that to this. You compare that to the words of Jesus. Compare that to the things that are in this book. Does it match up with what is recorded? Because if you don't do that, you run the risk of believing a lie. And if you believe a lie, it could cost you your soul. In sharp contrast to that, Jesus says, secondly, that if you will look closely, and if you will make that distinction, if you'll separate the true shepherd from the false shepherds, what's going to happen is is you're going to find that I, the Lord, I am the only way in. If you look again at John chapter 10, you will notice that there are actually a couple of different I am statements in this particular text. In verse 7, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. In fact, he says it again in verse 9. I am the door. Now, that's a little bit strange to us, I think. You know, we we get the shepherd thing. Because twice he made that statement, verse 11, verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and all the other surrounding stuff around it is talking about sheep and shepherds, and we get all of that. But how does, well how does being the door, how does, how does that fit into this equation? How does that fit in this context? What exactly does Jesus mean by that, and how does that work within this shepherding analogy? Well, maybe a little bit of explanation and illustration will help us out here. Sir George Adam Smith, was a prolific writer during the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. And to this day, his writings about the, the geography of the Holy Lands are actually considered just a standard reference book, kind of considered to be amongst the best of that. On one of his trips to the Holy Land, one of his trips to Palestine, he actually ran into and he met a Bedouin shepherd. And he began to talk to this man, began to inquire about his life as a shepherd living in those very lands where Jesus spoke these words. And as he got talking with him and having a conversation with this shepherd, eventually he asked, hey, could you take me to your sheepfold? I've never seen a sheepfold. I'd like to see what that looks like. Can you show me your sheepfold? And the shepherd obliged. And so he took him to the sheepfold. And the sheepfold is basically just a, a rocky enclosure, kind of what we might just call a corral. It's a corral for the sheep. But one of the things, the first thing that Sir George Smith noticed, he noticed pretty quickly that there was, well, there's no gate. There's an opening. There's no actual door there. No door of any kind to to keep the sheep in or to let the sheep out. And so he began to ask the shepherd, he said, Hey, what what about the door? Why is there no door? And the shepherd was kind of confused at first because there was a little bit of a language barrier. But eventually he understood what uh, Sir Smith was saying. And so he finally replied. He said, well, I am the door. And Sir Smith was just completely flummoxed by that. What do you mean you are the door? How can you be? You're a person. How can you be a door? That's just not possible. And the shepherd replied thusly. He said, when the light goes away, when it gets dark. He said, I put all of my sheep inside. And then I, I lie across the open space. And nothing comes in that doesn't go over my body. And nothing goes out that doesn't come over my body. I am the door. And I love that. Because I believe that's exactly what Jesus means here in John chapter 10. That's a powerful image, isn't it? Jesus is saying, I... I am the living door. In order to come into this fold, you must go through me. And in order for you to go out into pasture, you must go through me. What that means is, is that means that Jesus, first of all, Jesus is the protector of the sheep. That is, you come through me and you will be safe inside. And that also means as well that Jesus is the provider of, Of the sheep. You go through me to get out to the pasture and to be fed and to find sustenance. In fact, look at the promise that Jesus gave again in the text. Look in verse 9. In John 10 verse 9, Jesus said there, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. Jesus says that He is the way. He is the only way to the abundant life. And I'll have you know, that's talking about more than just heaven. It would include heaven, but it includes the abundant, the full and rich and satisfying life that we can enjoy right now as being children of God. And in fact, that exclusivity the fact that He is the only way to that life, it's furthered in verse 11. When Jesus says there, I am the good shepherd. And I want you to understand that the construction of that verse is actually, I am the shepherd, the good one. The emphasis there is on good. That is a word that can mean beautiful, but in this context it means excellent. It means most noble, the best, the only one of its kind. Jesus is the only one who can save and serve in this capacity. He is the only one in this class. He is the only one who can shepherd us and lead us to true, abundant living. Now there's lots that could be said about this. There's lots here that we could tie into messianic prophecy about how God had made that promise that I'm going to shepherd my sheep. And we read that a moment ago in Ezekiel 34. And here it's being fulfilled in Jesus. But I want you to simply see this morning that Jesus says, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times, He says, I am the door. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And every time He makes that statement, it is singular. One. The only one. Jesus does not say, I am one of many ways. I am one of many good shepherds. I am one of many doors. No. He is the door. The good shepherd. Singular. There is salvation in no one else. Peter said in Acts 4 verse 12. There is no one else who can let us in. No one else who can give us access to the Father. No one else who will care for us and protect us and lead us and save us. No one but Jesus Christ. And what that means is is that means that John 10, this exclusivity, that means that John 10 oftentimes becomes very offensive in our world today. You think about it. Jesus is making all of these exclusive kinds of statements about how He is the only way, but in our world today... That's just not very politically correct. That's not politically correct at all. That's incorrect. It's incorrect to go around and say that I'm the only way. No, in our world today, there's lots of ways to God. That's the right thing to say. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, whatever you find and you want to do, whatever truth that you want to pick up and you want to believe, well, that'll be just as good as anything else that you might do. Young people, I talked a few weeks ago about how you can lose your faith by the time that you're 20. And that one of the ways that you can do that is by not standing up for Jesus Christ. What about right here? What about this? Will you have the courage to stand up and affirm to your friends? Especially when you get out into the world, you go off to college and you go to places, you start encountering lots of different people with lots of different ideologies. You're going to have the courage to stand up and affirm what Jesus says here. That He is the door and the Good Shepherd and there is salvation in no one else? Or, on the other hand, will you be ashamed? Will you stick your head in the sand? Because you're not willing to stand up and make that kind of statement. Because that would be seen as as being intolerant. You would be so narrow-minded if you were to stand up and say that Jesus is the only way. Truth is, whether you defend it or not, whether you believe it or not, it really doesn't matter because Jesus is the only way. And since He is the only way, that would mean thirdly and finally this morning that we, we need to recognize our dependence upon the shepherd and we need to follow Him. You know, maybe the reason this passage doesn't resonate with us more is because we don't know where we fit In this passage. Or maybe more accurately, maybe we do know where we fit, but we just don't like where we fit in this passage. Because where are you and I in John chapter 10? Who are we? We're the animals in this deal, okay? We're the sheep. And that's not, let's be clear, that's not a very complimentary description to go around calling someone a sheep. Many of you have heard me say before, and I'm going to say it once again, that sheep, Kathy's getting a smile on her face already, sheep are just about the dumbest of all the domesticated animals on the planet. In fact, one professor, he actually said, sheep are exhibit A against the theory of evolution, because if survival of the fittest was true, they'd have never made it. And you know what? If that video, and I've watched that video like a dozen times in the past week, If that little clip and that little video, if that proves anything, it's that sheep are, sheep are just dumb. And the Bible, the Bible unapologetically applies that same description, that label to you and me. We are the sheep of His pasture, the 100th Psalm says. With great regret, I recognize how true Isaiah 53 verse 6 is. That all we, like sheep, we have gone astray. We are sheep. And what that means is, is that means that we absolutely need the shepherd. We cannot survive without him. Can I share with you a story that I came across just the other day? This is a first-person account from one of our soldiers over in Afghanistan. And he was writing about a convoy of American soldiers. There were several vehicles that was, that was ambushed as they were traveling through the mountains of Afghanistan. They were traveling through this very narrow and small pass in the mountains of Afghanistan. As they got to the most narrow and most restricted part of the journey, there all of a sudden came this explosion to the left. And then an explosion to the right. And before you know it, bullets began flying in their direction. They were under attack. They tried to get into a defensive posture and formation. They tried to assemble and gather their ammo as shots continued to fire, wounding some and actually killing others. And so this soldier, as he wrote about that, wrote about all the the sights and the sounds that 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 battle was having that day and probably it was the sights and sounds that happened on a pretty regular basis in Afghanistan. He said the following in the midst of all that. He said, amid all of the noise and the confusion... I looked up and I saw, in the middle of the road, a shepherd. An older man standing calmly in the road with a flock of sheep. Despite the uproar of the battle and the bullets snapping above him, there he stood. In one hand he held a wooden staff, and I watched as he stretched his arms out wide. The sheep responded immediately, by clustering around their shepherd. He lowered his arms, and he touched several on the head with his staff. And the sheep responded by raising their heads. And they quietly followed him as he slowly walked out of sight and out of harm's way. That shepherd, in the middle of that battle, he did not abandon his sheep. He did not panic and run away and leave them there to die. And why? Because they are His sheep. They are His sheep. He called them. And they knew Him. They came. They followed after their shepherd. And i got to tell you, when I read that soldier's account, and I'm trying to picture all of that in my mind, I had a very clear understanding of what Jesus is describing here in John chapter 10. Because just like in that story... I recognize that I, I am in the middle of this colossus battle that's being waged. A battle between good and evil. A battle between light and darkness. A battle between God and the forces of Satan. And all around me this battle is raging every single day. And I do not understand what is going on. And I do not know what to make of all of this. I do not know how to solve all of the problems that I see in my world. And I really just don't know what to do. In fact, there are times when I just feel like I am going to die right in the middle of all of this mess. But then in the middle of all that, through the eye of faith, I look up and what do I see? I see my shepherd. I see Jesus. And what does the shepherd do? The shepherd raises his arms. And I know in that instance that I need Him. I need to go running to Him. I'm never going to be able to survive this on my own. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what's happening. So I'll just simply follow Him. And when the Good Shepherd calls, I'm going to answer. I must follow Him. And I believe that's exactly the point that Jesus is driving at in John chapter 10. That in Him... In Him alone is safety and life and peace and hope and all that is good. And I need Him and you need Him. Can I make that very clear when we talk about following the shepherd? You understand first and foremost that following Jesus means that we obey Jesus. You know, when the shepherd, when he raised his arms in that story, what happened? The sheep came to him. They were responding to His instructions. That's what the raising of the arms meant. And here in John chapter 10, when the shepherd utters his voice, verse 3, what do the sheep do in verse 4? They come. They follow Him. They obey His instructions. They don't just sit there and listen and go, hmm, that was interesting what the shepherd said. Let that sound just reverberate in their fuzzy-wuzzy little ears. No! They heard and then they answered that summons. Please don't get some kind of sentimental idea this morning that, well, I can be around the shepherd. Hey, we've come here today. We're in the presence of God. I'm here. I'm, I'm around the shepherd today. But you know what? I don't really have to do what he says because, hey, I spent some time with the shepherd. Or please don't think to yourself, you know what? I can be around other sheep. And these other sheep, yeah, they're obeying. They're doing what the shepherd says. But even though I'm not doing what the shepherd says, that's okay. Because, well, I hang around all these obedient sheep one, two, three times a week when I go to church. No, that's not it. I must do, obey what the shepherd says. Look at verse 14. Because really this whole thing is about relationship. In verse 14, Jesus says there, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That word know, that word there is relationship language. It's not talking about just kind of intellectually knowing someone. Hey, I know your name, I know how tall you are, I know your weight, I know your birth date. No, that's talking about being in relationship. Just like the relationship Jesus goes on to describe in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And, of course, that relationship, that obedience, it's all predicated upon trust, isn't it? The reason those sheep in Afghanistan, the reason they followed their shepherd right in the middle of warfare, is because they trusted Him. They trusted that He knew what was the best thing to do. They trusted that He knew where was the right place to go. And when Jesus comes along in John 10, and He says that the sheep, they know My voice, what He's saying is He's saying that the sheep, they trust. Me, Following the Good Shepherd. It means obeying, but it also means trusting His Word. Why is it then, can I just ask? Why is it that it seems like sometimes we almost have to argue people into following the Good Shepherd? Why is it that sometimes when a Christian, when their life is is out of line and it's not what it ought to be, why is it that we have to fuss at them and holler at them And we have to practically almost coerce them into doing the right thing. I can tell you why some sheep are like that. It's because there's a failure to trust on their part. They don't trust the shepherd like they should. There's no depth of relationship there. Even if the shepherd's commands were printed right here in this book... In six inch red letters for everybody to see. And I mean just as plain as day. You could read the words. It says, do not be involved in sexual immorality. If the word said, don't fool around with drugs and alcohol. If the word said, do not forsake the assembling of the people together. It really wouldn't matter to these folks. And why? Because they don't trust. They don't trust. They don't trust what the shepherd has clearly said. They don't trust His commands, and thus they don't truly follow Him. You and I, you and I must reach a place in our walk with the Lord where we are trusting the shepherd just unequivocally. Sheep don't judge, and sheep don't second guess the commands and instructions of their shepherd. What's the roles here? He's the shepherd. We, we are merely the sheep. And maybe as I think about all of this, maybe the most beautiful thing in John chapter 10 is that those sheep, they follow the shepherd and they do that willingly. They want to. There's no arm twisting. There's no goading or prodding. The master says his words and they follow his voice. Which really begs the question right now, do you want to follow the good shepherd? Do you want Him to lead you to that abundant life that He has promised? Maybe the good news here is that you don't have to be the the prettiest sheep. Jesus only takes the good-looking ones. No. You don't have to be the smartest sheep, as if there really is such a thing as a really smart sheep. You don't have to be the most talented sheep. Oh, Jesus is only going to take the ones who can razzle and dazzle Him with all the things that they can do. No. The only qualification that you trust and you obey the shepherd. And so in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation, song number 391. I asked Robbie if he would lead this song. That song is going to give us an opportunity, first of all, to keep thinking about our relationship to the shepherd. It'll give us the opportunity to decide whether or not we're ready to stop being a stubborn goat And whether or not we're ready to start being a willing sheep. The Good Shepherd loves you. You need to know that. Even though He didn't say it specifically in those verses, He said it. In verse 15 of that text, He said that He was willing to lay down His life for the sheep. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much He cares about you. That's how much He wants you to be saved. You'd go to be with Him in heaven someday. If you are not one of the sheep of His pasture, this morning you have the opportunity to confess your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, to repent, that is to turn away from sin and to turn to Him, and then be baptized, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, as Acts 2 and 38 and a host of other passages describe. That's how your sins are washed away. That's how you get added to the family. That's how you get added to the flock of God. Can we help you this morning to take those steps? Brother or sister, it may very well be that you started out as being in that sheepfold, but you escaped. Maybe the wolf come and snared and pulled you out. Caused you to be wandering over here on the hillside and in all the difficult and treacherous places that you ought not to be. If there is sin in your life, brother or sister, you need to repent of that. You need to get serious about your service to the Lord. The shepherd wants to guide you and lead you. But you have to be willing to make that happen. If there's any way that we can help anybody this morning to follow the Good Shepherd, now's an opportunity to do that. I want you to do that right now by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.